Hello and welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 855, my interview with John O'Bacon. We discuss his newest book, People Powered, The Value of Communities. I hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome back to another episode here at the Hidden Why. Hope you are very well. Guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, appreciate you being here with me. And I really hope you're enjoying some of the interviews that we're putting out there. Um, I continue to enjoy what I do, interviewing some amazing people from around the globe on various topics of interest to me. And obviously, if you're a regular listener, hopefully they're of interest to you. Look, not every topic is going to resonate, but um, if you're like me, you're like-minded, perhaps they do. Certainly today is with no exception. I'm chatting with Jono Bacon. He is a community strategist, speaker, and author. He's also got a couple of podcasts, which are a little bit of left field of, of what he does for a living. He is all about communities, and he's written a couple of books on that topic, The Art of Community, and also his newest book, People Powered. And really what we're doing today is discussing his book, and we don't go into the nitty-gritty, and I think there's actually really a lot to unpack in The Power of Communities and in his book, People Powered. But what we really focused on is, is what is a community? Why are communities so powerful? I guess a little bit about the evolution of communities, but then how communities can be harnessed to really offer value both to the, the people behind the creator of the community, the business, the brand, whatever it might be, but also the community themselves. And that's what we really discuss in this conversation with John O'Bacon. Guys, I hope you, as, uh, as I did, enjoyed this conversation. And please let me know what you think at thehiddenwhy.com. Cheers. G'day, John. Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you. Whereabouts are you in the world? So I'm in uh, I'm in California in the Bay Area. So yeah, I'm an English lovely. transplant. English transplant. <laughs> nice one, mate. Thanks for coming on the show. You've got a few. Um, well, a new book this just been released two days ago. Uh, yep. People powered: How communities can supercharge your business, brand, and team. So looking forward to. Talking about that, and your field of work is all about really, um, you know, networking and helping communities um, within businesses yep. to help achieve their certain goals. I assume, but how do you explain yep. what you do in a nutshell? So the way I look at it is, um, it is that if you in recent years, um, more and more organisations have been have been building communities around their businesses. So, for example, um, Salesforce, Oracle, SAP have built communities of over a million members. Um, we've seen um, Hit Record, for example, which is a community that brings together artists, uh, musicians, screenwriters, and they collaborate on on shared projects. And yeah. this is actually led by um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was one of the contributors to the new book. Um, you know, we've seen the open source uh, kind of the open source ecosystem spring up, and and basically most technology in the world now is built in an open source way. Like ninety nine percent of software is built in an open source way. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and you know. Yeah, you got projects such as uh, such as Kubernetes, which brings together over two thousand developers who have built this platform that essentially powers the cloud, and you know, over fifty companies who compete with each other actually work on it. So, um, what's interesting to me is 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 when people come together with a, a mission, with an ethos. Um, it's incredible what what those communities can produce, but they're kind of tricky to build. Mm. Uh, you know, it's this weird mixture of of psychology, of, of incentivization, of workflow, of tools, of, you know, how do you use social media and whatever else. And what I do is basically help organizations to understand what kind of value can they squeeze out of a community and how do they do it the right way. Yeah, okay, excellent. 
um, communities. I mean, is this is this something that's more uh, has come about due to um, technology, or is it something that we've always had there as communities, um, but maybe just lost a little bit of way with in in the right. industrial age? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I mean, I think communities have been around since humans have been around. We're fundamentally social creatures. We like to spend time with each other. Um, you know, we form into families. We form into local communities. We form into now global global communities. Yeah. Um, the 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 growth of technology has definitely helped. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, most people are walking around with a with a computer in their pocket, right? And yeah. um, and people connected to the internet, and internet access has become ubiquitous, and technology has become cheaper around the world. You know, like it's yeah, it's it's considerably cheaper to buy a gigabyte worth a gig uh, a gigabyte worth of uh, internet access, for example, in India than it is in the UK and the US. Yeah. Um, and so we've seen more and more people getting connected, and I think that's opened up an opportunity for people to get connected into communities. And the other thing as well is younger generations, uh, you know, especially millennials, which everyone likes to talk about, uh, um, have grown up in a world with with technology. They've grown up with social technology around them. It's normal to be on social media. It's normal to uh, to be connected with video games and various other things. So. Uh, I think people are growing up and wanting this as well. And it's changing the relationship that we have with companies, with brands. Like more and more companies are investing in building out communities because that's what their consumers want. They don't just want to go and buy a product and, you know, only engage with them via some crappy newsletter and uh, and their customer support line. Mm, yeah, good point. And the book People Powered, I mean, who is it ideally for? Is it for all business owners and entrepreneurs or is it for anyone that wants to use right. the power of communities to drive whatever goals they have forward? I think it's most useful to people who um, are, you know, they're either running a business or they're, let's say, working in marketing or working in engineering or um, you, th there's an area where they can see the potential of a community being applied. But I, I deliberately wrote People Power to be a, a fairly generally applicable book. Like, it would be very useful for activists. It could be very useful for people setting up, you know, um, hobbyist communities, whether it's around uh, gaming or whether it's around knitting or, you know, music or cooking or whatever else. Um, you know, the, the, the point of the book really is to is to share the value proposition of communities and why yeah. they're interested and the psychology behind why they're interesting. Like this isn't just like a, you know, a, a gimmick in the technical age. Like this has been part of human beings for many years. But then to predictably show how you go about building one, um, because it is confusing. Um, and mm. particularly if you've got an organization and you build a community around it, you also don't want it to be a bit of a turkey and be, a, you know, not very good and not very successful, a bit of a dormant ghost house. For sure. So that's kind of the goal of it. So I think I wrote a book uh, about 10 years ago called The Art of Community, and yeah. that was very much of a practitioner's guide, particularly designed for technical people. And it lost a lot of people because it was a bit too heavyweight and people powered has been designed to be, you know, an, an easier read that will get you up and running quickly. So the value proposition of communities, I mean, I, I just look at a community and go, well, it's obviously a support network that can help each other yeah. towards a, yeah. a common goal potentially. And, you know, traditionally that might be survival. Um, right. Yeah, but what is what is the value proposition of communities? How would you define that? It tend, yeah, it tends to subdivide. So the way I look at it is, if you look at all communities in the world, that you can basically break them down into three types, three mm -hmm. flavors. One is is what I refer to as uh, consumer communities, and these are people who get together because they have a shared interest. They may be big fans of Stranger Things or a particular video game or 
a particular football team, something along those lines. And uh, a good example of this is the is the um, is the Star Wars is the um, Star Trek community. Like these people get together, they're super passionate, they organize conventions and this, that, and the other. But they generally don't influence the thing that brings them together, which is Star Trek itself. Mm. Uh, so these are primarily forums, discussion boards, those kinds of places. The second type is what I call a champion community. And this is where people get together because they want to go the extra mile. They want to produce documentation or write articles. They want to create videos. They want to organize meetups and events um, um, focused on on that particular community's topic. Um, and what happens is this community generates a whole bunch of material that gets added to a stockpile, right? So they often provide support and guidance. They generate this content. And this can raise the awareness and you know grow the brand of that particular community, grow the awareness of it. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And it gives those people some really meaningful ways in which they can engage. So and then the like third community, type, sorry, just to inter- interrupt there. Yeah. A champion community, is that, can you use that for a business application? Could it be a community that's coming together to, you know, yeah. an activist community or a, a non-for-profit community? Yeah, I mean, both. I mean, yeah. so to give you an example of activism, um, you know, years ago, there was the Mozilla project um, kicked off. And this is all about the open web. There was a risk back in the late 90s that the web was going to be kind of taken over by Microsoft. They were going to produce a whole set of very specific standards that only would work within Microsoft's browser. Um, and the, the Mozilla project was all about an open web and open standards. Um, so they would, you know, they would they would do all kinds of activism to the point where they'd for example, they made crop circles in the shape of the Firefox logo to raise awareness. They had a fundraiser and raised enough money for a full-page ad in the New York Times. And people would produce all kinds of content, again, videos, local events, all kinds of stuff. But then in the business setting, you know, an example of this is a company called Fractal Audio Systems. And they, I'm a musician, and so I, I've got, I'm sitting, a, sitting in a room right now surrounded by guitars and audio equipment, and they produce a, a product called an AxeFX. And this is basically it. Essentially, it simulates um, tube guitar amps and mm. hundreds of them, and they've got a very active community of people who produce, you know, presets for the for, for the Axe effects. Have written up documentation documenting all of the different amp models. Uh, people who produce, you know, f- uh, videos like there's this one guy called Leon Todd, I think his name is. Whenever they release a new piece of firmware with new features, he has a video out within a couple of days that walks through the firmware and what it does and how to use it and how to configure it and and integrate it into your sounds. Yeah. Uh, entire books have been written by them, and these people don't work for Fractal Audio Systems. They're just really passionate about about the Axe Effects. It's amazing. So. Yeah. It's incredible. Hmm. Uh, and it's a really nice community of people to be around. Um, and then the third model is what I call collaborator. And this is kind of subdivides into two types, the inner and outer. Like an inner collaborator model is where people work on the same thing. So, you know, my example earlier on of an open source project like Kubernetes, people are working together on the same code base. So they check it out, they add a feature, they fix a bug, something along those lines. Um, but then you have a different type of collaborator community called outer which is where people build technology or content that sits on top of a platform. So a good example here would be people who build applications for the Android store or for the, um, you know, for the iOS store or people who build plugins for WordPress or whatever. Um, and the, the way in which you build these, um, these three different models of communities um, and then the two subdivision in, in the collaborator model is very different. You know, so for example, if you build a community of Star Trek fans, you basically need to provide, you know, a uh, a simple, effective communication platform where people can have 
inclusive, safe discussion. Yeah. Um, if you want to build a community and in a collaborative community wrapped around an open source project, then you've got to have all kinds of you know process and workflow. How do you do code review? How do you manage issues? How do you issue releases? How do you incentivize people? They're very, very different. So yeah. okay. when I wrote Full Powered, it, it presents these three models, and then it shows you the different things that you would do within each of these different models. Right, gotcha. So the co- complexities of the communities obviously would change depending on, on what the genre of the community is all about. Um, yeah, and yeah, and the good news as well is, frankly, it can be as long as a piece of string. I mean, there's some communities that are just, you know, like a good example would be like a book club, a local book club, mm-hmm. you know, that meets in a meets in a pub every couple of weeks and picks a book and they have, you know, uh, a simple communication platform and they meet, they have a good time. Um, and, and that's the way it works. But then you can scale it up to incredibly complicated, massive international movements with all kinds of infrastructure and, and local groups and all kinds of stuff. So it, it doesn't have to be incredibly complicated. It's, it's as complicated as you want to make it. Yeah. Gotcha. So what, what defines a, a good community? That's a really good question. I think there's a few things. I think one is that, um, um, at a base level, if you look at the psychology of how people tend to think and what makes communities tick, the ultimate treasure in a community is a sense of belonging, right? So if, if you think about, you know, you know yourself, Lee, or you think about mm. your listeners, all everyone who's listening to this will will have groups that they feel just a part of. It could be your family, it may be um, your company. It may be another a community that you're a member of. It may be your local area. And when you feel like you belong somewhere where people will miss you if you leave and you play a role there, that's incredibly fulfilling. And when people feel like they belong somewhere, they generally don't want to leave. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why people stick at companies for a long time because they feel like they're part of something. That's feel included. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. So that to me is one really critical element is when you have members that feel that sense of belonging, that is a sign of a great community, how people get to that sense of belonging in terms of how they learn about your community, how they get up and running, how they, they start contributing and doing things and how their contributions are are kind of rewarded and how they feel that sense of gratification. That is another great sign of a community. Does it have to be a contributing member to feel a sense of belonging? No, not at all. I mean, do communities always need everyone to be contributing? Not really. I mean, there's kind of two phases to it. The one element is what is the value that's been generated? So my example earlier on of fractal audio systems, you make this guitar um, processor. A lot of people who, who go to that community are just reading the content on the forum. They're downloading the firmware. They're reading the books. They're watching the videos. And that's great. And And they won't necessarily feel, I would say, a sense of belonging because they haven't interacted socially within that grouping but what they'll get is a lot of value Mm. right so they'll 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 find it useful and interesting now the people who actively participate in that community who join the conversations who produce the videos who you know you know write the content yeah they will feel a sense of belonging when they've been doing it for a while um so i think it's both yeah i I mean it's it's sort of a, a narrow edge i suppose because those people that aren't actively involved um you know could easily walk at any time they don't have that that level of involvement yeah and one of the reasons why 
I kind of break it into these two areas. Like there's the, 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 the value of participating and the value of consuming is because you need the people to produce the, to, to contribute, to generate the value that people will consume. Well, right? holds, so holds everybody people in there, doesn't it? Like if you're actively yeah. participating, then you're going to be more inclined to be part of that and the progress of that community and the, the growth of that community. Whereas if you're just exactly. there consuming, you know, at any time, it, it, the group could fall apart or the community could fall apart if there's not enough active participants. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why um, a big chunk of the strategy that I tend to take with my clients and what I write about in People Powered is how do you wire up that participation to be as simple as possible? Hmm. You know, so on the on the consumption piece, frankly, the most important thing is you need to just make sure that the value of the community is as easily consumable, consumable as possible, right? right? So it's easy to find the community, to see what they've produced, to download it, to use it. Um, where the rubber really hits the road and where it gets tricky is making it easy to participate because yeah. to participate means that someone's going to take time away from their family, from their PlayStation, from their job to do something. Um, and it's got to be easy and that, you know, no one wants to jump through hoops to, 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 to contribute to something that they're not going to be compensated for. So well, it's more and more too, like these days, there's so many of these communities online that we're all involved in that a right. request to participate here or leave a review there or actively give your opinion here becomes a bit you know overwhelming so i just like you have to then yeah. prioritize okay well what's really important to me and so then you exactly. just start ignoring all those those invites to participate yeah you just i mean a good example of that is facebook i mean how many people how many times do you get you know blah 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 has invited you to this facebook group and you're like whatever <laughs> yeah care. yeah there's heaps i of get a million there. of these so that's why um essentially that the healthier participation community is generally the more value will be generated um, and that will pull people in. And what's interesting here as well is, um, is again, psychologically, one of the things that's very common with human beings is that when we see an ecosystem hmm. and we see people contributing to it and getting a lot of value and recognition, we often want to do that ourselves. Um, um, so what often happens is somebody kind of comes into the community as a bit of a window shopper, you know, this, I, this actually happened to me personally with, with the fractal audio systems. I came in, I'd bought an Axe FX, uh, the previous Axe FX, the Axe FX 2, I got the three now. Yeah. And I just wanted to learn how to use it. I didn't particularly want to join the community. I wasn't very interested. Um, but, um, I started reading and, you know, generally I'd search for something online and, and the, someone had already asked it and it had already been a conversation, but then I found things that I didn't have the answer to. So I'd then think, oh, well, they seem like a friendly bunch. I'll go and ask a question there. And then that'd get a really nice response and people would be, be very friendly. And then I'd do it again and they'd be very friendly. And, you know, sometimes I'd post a question and the main the guy cliff who runs fractal um he'd provide a, a response and then i'd feel a little bit more inclined that well maybe i should go and help people out as well so i'd start answering right. questions yeah yeah and that tends to be how it tends to happen so a principle of influence you know, or yeah yeah but there's a lot of nuance in you know as you can probably imagine in how you wire this stuff up and making sure that it's easy and it's simple and uh the devil really gets down into the detail is, is there a, a ideal size of community or does it i mean because online communities these days are in the millions aren't they or billions on yeah Facebook. Uh, i don't think there is necessarily an ideal size but things definitely get more complicated the bigger you get depending on the model yeah. So, for example, the consumer model can scale 
massively. Because most of the conversations that you tend to get in consumer in consumer communities are relatively transactional. So someone posts a, a comment or a question, and then there's a discussion, and then it ends, and then you're on to the next one. And a lot, there's a lot of these parallel kind of uh, parallel parallel interactions. Where it gets more complicated is when, for example, with a collaborator model, when people are working together on the same thing. Um, when you've got 10 people or 20 people working together on the same thing, it's really easy because you can reasonably know everyone. Mm. But then when you start getting thousands of people, you've got to put in place like governance and processes and workflow. And you want to do that in a way that doesn't feel bureaucratic. Well, I was just um, going to say that. I mean, do these do these collaborative communities where they're working together to achieve a certain outcome, do they, do they have a leader? Do they need that leadership there? Or can the community actually function without that level of governance? It varies. Yeah. I mean, uh, so for example, there are some projects that don't have a leader. You know, a good example of this is a project called KDE, which is a desktop environment for, for computers. Um, and for many years, they've not had a formal leader. They have a uh, kind of a Chairman uh, governance They've got like a governance group because they've got like a legal entity called right. KDEV that, you know, receives donations and things like that. But yeah. they, those folks don't really have any control over the project itself. Um, so what happens is the decision making gets made when people contribute, for example, a new feature or fix a bug or something along those lines. It gets made at that level. Yeah. Now, you then get other projects where they have um, formalized leadership entities. So, for example, when I was uh, at Canonical running the Ubuntu project, or run the Ubuntu community, rather, um, we had something called the community council, which was seven nominated people in the, or nominated and elected people in the community who were basically responsible for community policy. So, for example, what did our code of conduct look like? Um, how did people become approved members? Um, you know, how did we issue, donate, uh, how do we uh, fund requests for donations, things like that. What they, did ne what they didn't decide on, what they never decided on, was what went into Ubuntu. Hmm. That was, again, for the developers, for the contributors to, 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 to decide on. So it does vary, but then you get other, you know, you get other projects like Linux, for example. There is one leader, Linus Torvalds. He's in charge. If he doesn't like something, it ain't going in. Right. Okay. <laughs> so... You know, the the thing is, is that as you get bigger, you do generally have to have some form of leadership in place or structured leadership or governance in place because you, you just can't manage that many interactions just with one person. So so even with Linus, he runs the Linux project, but he's got his team of generals who own these different subsystems who are responsible for that. But he can override any of them yeah. because he's the boss. So Well, you, you find that with cultures too. I mean, you look at an Asian community like Japan, for example, the population yes. there is so dramatic that they need these these rules um, yeah. for people to abide by for the system to work. Whereas in Australia, yeah. it's a you know it's a little bit different. So it's well, that's um, and where it can get tricky, of course, is when you've got, for example, a company behind a community, which mm. is very common. Where you'll have you yeah, know sure. a, 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 the, you know one of the key principles that I kind of talk about in People Powered is. Fundamentally, community members generally join not because they want your company to be successful. They join because they want the community to be successful. Yeah. And they care more about the community than necessarily the company. A lot of companies find this difficult to wrap their heads around this because they're like, well, don't they realize if they make the company successful, we can then invest more into the community? Don't they get that? It's like, they do get that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, they care about the community primarily. Mm. So, 
where it can get tricky is then making sure that you have the right balance between community leadership and the company itself and what that looks like. And that can freak some companies out because like, well, we don't want to cede control to some of these community members. So that's again, where the right balance of leadership kind of sits in. So, you know, with most communities that I've seen that operate in that model, you generally have members of the company who are in leadership positions, but you also have members of the community who are in leadership positions as well. And there's like a natural balance and kind of, um, you know, collaboration that occurs there. So, how does a company? Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably a hard hard thing to do. But how does a company? I guess a company could go about creating a community around its purpose or its mission. And as long as there's people in the community that are interested in that sort of thing, I guess they can create a community. But what about a company that perhaps doesn't have that that community base yet? Um, how can they create community? Um, right, you know, from their, does that make sense? From their brand, yeah. that doesn't yet have any interest out there potentially. Absolutely, yeah. And this is actually something I kind of walk through in the book, which is, um, to me, everything has to start with value, right? Hmm. Uh, is the company is going to have a goal, right? It's going to have a set of business goals, and the first step is like, what is the value reasonably that you want to create? not just for the company, but also for your members, right? So when <laughs> there's been a number of clients that I've worked with where they, they they figure out the value for the company very quickly, right? They say, okay, well, we can lower our support costs by getting community members to provide help. We can have community members producing apps or plugins or other technology that will be useful to us. We can grow our brand awareness and get it out there. Um, we can have community members organizing local events for us. And they come up with all of these great ideas about what community members are going to do. But they, they don't necessarily think through what is the reason why they would do that. Like, what's the value for them? Because if you only focus on the value proposition for the company, you'll basically build a very boring community that no one really wants to join. Yeah. Uh, so look at what the community members can get out of it. Well, they maybe want to grow their career. They want to build their experience. They want to grow their network. They want to you know, do any number of other things. And then from that value proposition, I think you can then say, what do we think is reasonably feasible within our audience, right? So, you know, for example, if you're a company and let's say you've got a you build a service, let's say it's a website, something like a SaaS website. Hmm. There's all kinds of potential for those kinds of companies around, you know, user communities and again, like support and advocacy and things like that. Um, but if you're, if you've got a community, for example, if you're in the medical devices industry, um, it is probably going to be a bit more difficult because that's a very heavily, constrained industry in terms of compliance and certification and things like that. Sure. Um, so you'd have to take a different tack. So the first element to me is, is looking at the potential, but, and I often recommend to, to, to uh, clients when I'm speaking, like look at your competitors or look at similar organizations in your space and what have they done? Now that doesn't necessarily mean that if they, if, if the people haven't done anything that you shouldn't do anything because there's always a first. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you, I think it's you got to be clear in my mind about what you can reasonably get out of it. I've very seldom found companies where they can't derive any value. Um, <clears throat> in the vast majority of cases, the level that you invest in building out a community, you can reap a significant reward from that. Um, but again, it varies a little bit from organization, organization to organization. Right, that's interesting. So as a company looking to, to create a community you have to look at 
sort of what the return would be obviously from that community but yeah. you also have to look at it as how can I add value um, to encourage yeah. you know um, people to participate and, and join yeah and also how much how much can you make yourself available so you know fundamentally when you look at the vast majority of communities that connect that are connected to a company, what community members want is they want the community to support their success, right? They want something out of it. Now, with the exception of consumer communities, which often are people who are fans of something, right? So yeah. imagine you want the company, the company wants to generate, the community to generate specific value. Typically what that value will generate is going to be success for other community members. So for example, if you're Salesforce, right? right and you join the Salesforce community, typically the reason why you join it is because you want to configure your Salesforce instance to do what you need it to do, and you want to improve your business. So the way most communities operate is that what they want is they want better access to the company, right? So the big mistake that a lot of companies make is they go out and they hire a community manager to bring them in, and that community community manager acts as like an ambassador to the community. So you've got, you know, uh, somebody in the product team in the company and they're like, well, we'd love to get more feedback from our community. Um, so what they do is they go to the community manager and they say to her or him, would you mind going and getting some feedback from the community and then sending it back to me? And they act as like a proxy. That is the worst thing you can do yeah. because community members don't want to just go through an intermediary. What they want is they want to talk to the product team. They want direct access. So the more you can make your employees available to the community and build a habit around this, and the way I often describe it to people is earning a browser tab. Like everyone who's listened to this, you've got your browser tabs that are always open. It's usually your email, something like Facebook or Instagram, Twitter. And calendar. You know, yeah, your calendar, maybe some sports results website whatever depending <laughs> on what you're into, Jeez. you know uh, uh, um and you want to earn a place for your staff to have the community open uh, yeah. so they're always connected in and to do that you need to set the expectation in your company this this community is an important part of what we do like these are our customers like our customers they are the oil that keeps the lights on <laughs> so um setting the expectation that this is something that our, our, our employees are going to play a role in and then giving them the tools and the ability to understand how to do that. Like, okay, well, what do you want them to do in your community? How often should they go there? What happens if they screw up? Are they going to get fired? Hopefully not. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's what's really important. And that requires asking the company in the formative stages of this, are we willing to do that? Yeah, because I think if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to resource it appropriately and you're not willing to open up a little bit, it doesn't mean you have to cede control to your community, but you've got to open, open. You've got to allow that the, ability to connect the, business to yeah. community. And, and, and I think it's important to ask that question realistically. Most companies will say, sure, we're open for that. But like, really, are you willing to have your members of your organization dedicate some time to this? Hmm. Uh, is it worth that value? Um, that to me is a key question. And a lot of people, I guess, a lot of business would find that risky to to allow yeah. you know employees to to have that access and ability to um, right. at will spend time right. in, involved in community. Right, and exactly, and yeah. So um, what I would always say to people is, you know, just start simple, and if if you if you see the value that a community can bring to your organization. 
it doesn't mean you have to like switch everything or like, flip the table over and change how everything works. Just start simple. Yeah. And, and start, you know, maybe just start with providing a place where people can go and ask questions and get answers and asking your support team to spend more time there or to ask your, you know, if you're a small startup, you know, your employees are just going to go there every day and share updates about what you're doing in your products. Um, you know, increase the level of social media that you're pushing out there and have it connect back to your community. You know, recognize <clears throat> members of your community as they come in and, and, and keep them motivated and interested. And maybe you have a member of your team spends half of the time in the community is kind of facilitating this. It doesn't have to be big. In fact, I always recommend start small and then build from that. Mm. Uh, but you do need to make some time for it, obviously, for it to work. It's going to so. take the time, yeah. Can you provide an example of a, a company perhaps that has um, done that? They've, you know, maybe a smaller company that's um, just then slowly created a, a community around their, their business and, and grown into something quite significant? Yeah. I mean, there's a raft of examples. Mm. One that springs to mind um, initially is a, is a company called Open Zeppelin. Um, yeah. and they're basically, they have a, a technology called smart contracts and it's, I won't bore you with what their product is. It's basically a technology product, but, um, they started with literally nothing. Like they had, um, you know, they had, the team was primarily focusing on building out the product itself. And, uh, and what we did is we, we put together a community where, um, where users of, Open Zeppelin could come in and ask questions. Um, uh, we'd be able to uh, first initially the you know team members at the company were answering all of those questions, um, but bit by bit we were gradually encouraging people to kind of come in and, and provide help, and then we'd celebrate people who provided great answers. We'd you know we'd celebrate them on the community forum. We'd celebrate them on social media. As they started going up in these kind of rankings internally in the community, we'd recognize them. We'd send them some swag. Um, we'd highlight them so they'd kind of get the recognition internally. And bit by bit, in fact, I had a call with 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 uh, with the team earlier today. If you look at the the community in the last year, on every conceivable metric, whether it's the number of page views for people going to the community forum, whether it's the number of signups, whether it's something called DAUMAU, which is essentially the number of monthly users, uh, number of daily users divided by the number of monthly users, which gives you kind of a level of stickiness, Um, um, or whether it's the number of posts and the number of topics that have been submitted. On every metric, everything's grown. Hmm. Um, and they built this really nice community and they started out with essentially their marketing manager spending some of his time on it. Um, and then they hired a community manager who started full time recently. Um, and, and they've generated an enormous amount of content. Uh, their search engine optimization is better on Google than it's ever been. They've grown their social media significantly. Um, so they're just a good example, I think, of an organization that's done it well. Again, they started mm. small, focused, and they've seen uh, a great number of benefits from it. Yeah, well, I suppose there's there's so much more packed into the book um, that you've written here, People Powered, to really guide right. people on on the value of community and also how to you know build the community and, and manage the community as well, I suppose. Uh, is there anything right. else in there specifically that you want to touch on? I mean, the the book kind of springs out into a few different areas. It was kind of an interesting book to write because, uh, like I say, it's a business book, right? So it's business books are usually fairly short. They um, uh, tend to be kind of a little bit more general purpose and high level. Yeah. 
I don't know about your, your yourself and, and your and your um, and your audience, but I personally think there's a lot of really bad business books out there that you know they they share a couple of principles and then they just hammer those principles home for the rest of the book with just countless examples. And you're like, I get it, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And I didn't want to write a book like that. I wanted to write a book that was general purpose, but really gives you a good level of meat and potatoes in terms of how to do this. So, <laughs> love you know, the potatoes. book, ah, oh, I love meat and potatoes. Uh, the book kind of wanders through, you know, the value of it and how to build out your annual strategy, your annual set of objectives and how you break that down into the tactics. But it also walks through things such as how do you incentivize people? Like mm. as human beings are very incentivizable creatures, right? We collect airline miles, we collect trophies in video games, we you know, we, we, we get our coffee stamps. So when you've bought 10 coffees, you get a free one, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. And they work really well. And how do you weave that into the community? And the way I kind of describe it in the book is that a community is basically a journey because what you do is you, you identify your target audience, you on-ramp them to do something. And then they go through three phases where they start out as casual members and they become regulars and then they become core, um, as they continue to participate. And what happens is, to move them through those three different phases, you incentivize them. And the book kind of walks through how to incentivize them, not just in terms of like sending them swag, mm. uh, giving them things to do and send them swag, because frankly, I think that only gets you so far, but also the intrinsic incentives of recognition, of respect um, mm. is, is incredibly powerful. So you can actually do a lot with a little in that yeah. regard. Yeah. Uh, the book also walks through how to do events because in-person communities are as valuable as online and they're, they're just different. Um, so it walks through. So the, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot packed in there. So I imagine so. And, um, yeah, I mean that incentive, you know, is, is really about really engaging them further and, and encouraging more participation, not only by that particular yeah. member, but also other members who can see that. Yeah. Well, and, and it's the observational piece again, interestingly, I'm a big believer that, um, uh, you got to kind of understand the psychology of people to really design human systems in the mm. same way that if you build an operating system for a computer, you got to understand the hardware that it runs on. Um, is that what builds communities is momentum. Like if you walk past a restaurant in your local town and it's empty, you're not going to go in. Yeah. Like you generally think, well, there's nothing happening there. It looks dead. It's going to be H weird. Hire a crowd. Right. So if you, if you walk past a restaurant and it's, it's it's hopping in there people are smiling they're having a good time you see someone eating some food and it looks pretty good you're more likely to look at the menu and go in mm -hmm. um so um it's not just to me the strategy here is not just how do you get people up and running but how do you showcase how do you do this in a fishbowl where other people can see it and yeah. then that in itself tends to build momentum so absolutely Mate, Jono, fantastic. I'm going to encourage everyone to reach out and pick up a copy of the book. I'll stick a link in the show notes, guys, so check it out Lovely. at hiddenwide.com. Um, and you can Thank you. Yeah, pick up a copy of, of the book by Jono. And this is episode 855, so you can search that there at hiddenwide.com. Jono, how can um, – you've got a website, isn't it, uh, jonobacon.com? Yeah. Yep, J-O-N-O, bacon, like the delicious meat, dot com. Um, and everything's on there. I write a lot of blog posts. The book is on there. And and I'm a completely open book as well. So, like, if anyone has got any questions, you can email me, jono at jonobacon.com. So. Cool. Reach out, guys. Thanks awesome. for tuning in. And, Jono, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, sir. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. 
thanks guys for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon